This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, April 8, 2008. I'm Caleb Brown. NATO once served as a Western wall against communist Russian influence. So what's NATO's proper role now? And do pushes for expanding NATO push Russia toward a more firm alliance with China? Stanley Cobra is a research fellow in foreign policy studies at the Cato Institute. Cato had a conference in Moscow co-sponsored with the Academy of Sciences. And one of the Russian speakers uh, said, we will now be part of a global civilization. This was in 1990. 1990. Okay, there's still a Soviet Union then. But clearly the Cold War was ending. I mean, you could, you could see it. The wall had come down. And this Russian speaker at this conference said, we will be part of a global civilization, which was a repudiation of the Marxist class struggle. Now, it's no more class struggle. Global civilization, one civilization for everyone, uh, stretching from New York to London to Paris to Moscow, Vladivostok, one global civilization. And then we began to expand NATO, and they were wondering what was going on. All these other countries are being included. And I was at a conference again in Moscow in 1995 at the USA Institute, at the Academy of Sciences, and at the end of the conference, they had a press conference. And first question from a Russian journalist, uh, how do you explain the rise of anti-Americanism in Russia, already in 1995? And the head of the Russian delegation at this conference gave five reasons. I don't remember all five, but I remember the first. And he said, Russia has still not been accepted as a full member in, in any of the Western institutions. And you could see that since we thought we'd be part of a global civilization, you're accepting other countries, but not us. And soon afterward, I saw Václav Havel, the president of the Czech Republic, saying, well, NATO is a defense of Euro-Atlantic civilization. Russia is a Euro-Asiatic country. Therefore, Russia cannot be part of NATO. Now, this has to do with more than just the expansion of NATO. This is a repudiation of the idea of a global civilization. Um, so right away, you're, divide, you're establishing new lines. Moreover, if you tell the Russians that they are part of a Euro-Asiatic civilization, okay, they will say, well, we're not going to do this all by ourselves. We have to look for allies too. Hello, Beijing. And starting around 10 years or so ago, uh, Around 1996-97, I began to see uh, Russian approaches to uh, China. What are the implications then of Vladimir Putin making these very harsh critiques of NATO um, and at the same time, or shortly thereafter, trying to be friendly with with NATO. They want to be friendly. Everybody talks about being friendly. Everybody's going through this kind of dance in which they say, oh, we're, we're all friends. But nevertheless, you have um, what is a military alliance here. NATO is a military alliance that uses military force. Um, so people have to be suspicious. Moreover, there is another element here. Um, when the Cold War ended, and Germany was reunified and um, allowed to be a member of NATO. The Russians agreed to this, but they thought they had an understanding that NATO would not expand any further 
Uh, this was never codified. They thought these were just oral assurances. Nobody then expected the collapse of the Warsaw Pact and the disintegration of the Soviet Union, so nothing was codified. And so when NATO began to expand, they said, we had these assurances, and our response was, well, nothing was codified, so nobody knows really what was said. It's not formal. And the Russians were upset by this, but they also admitted, in effect, okay, fine. You know, we didn't get anything in writing. Fair enough. Okay. So this is one of the reasons that the Kosovo um, Declaration of Independence recently is so important to them, because this time they got it codified. Um, Resolution 1244 of the United Nations Security Council uh, specifies uh, that uh, the territorial integrity of then Yugoslavia, now Serbia, must be preserved. So the Russians said, well, you know, we've got this now codified. And our response has been, um, I don't know how formal this is, but I've seen this cited. Well, yes, it's in the resolution, but it's in the preamble of the resolution. And the preamble is not legally operational. So in effect, we are telling the Russians, well, yes, it's in the, you know, but it's in the wrong part of the resolution. The language is there. This, you know, even if it's technically correct, um, it causes problems. It's, you know, because you wonder, well, did we tell them that at the time in 1999? You know, I don't think so. And in effect, then, we are telling the Russians and the Chinese who also signed on to this as permanent members of the Security Council. Well, you get to exercise your veto in the Security Council when we let you. Uh, this is not going to go over uh, very well. And I go back to what I said earlier. If we tell the Russians, well, you're, part of a Euro, you're not part of the Euro-Atlantic civilization, you're Euro-Asiatic, that pushes them in the direction of Beijing. If we tell Russia and China... We decide, we in the West, when you exercise your veto, that also pushes them together. Would a dissolution of NATO at this point have any chance of reversing that process? My concern about a dissolution of NATO now, when the Cold War was ending, Václav Havel, whom I cited earlier, originally said, well, both military alliances should dissolve NATO and the Warsaw Pact. And they should be replaced by greater emphasis on the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. And I thought at the time that was a great idea. Um, I regret we did not go down that road. I was struck when the Cold War was ending to see um, statements in then the official Soviet press how the Soviet Union had made a mistake. Uh, on the issue of human rights. Remember, OSCE started out in 1975 with the Helsinki Final Act, which allowed a lot of these human rights movements to gain some international legitimacy and start putting pressure on human rights in then the Soviet Empire. Um, it seems to me that the Soviet recognition at that time that they had made the wrong choice on human rights and emphasizing OSCE um, would have been the path to encourage. Now, they don't trust OSCE. You know, it's as if they we're back to the interference in internal affairs that characterized the Soviet era. And so we have lost that as well. I, I was just so amazed to see those articles in the late 1980s on, on, on this issue. And this is, to my mind, one of the saddest developments of, of the last few years 
um, that that has totally turned around. But as far as NATO is concerned, I think NATO is itself in big trouble. Um, Look at the difficulty it has had in raising troops for Afghanistan. Um, The French said they would, at the Bucharest summit, said they will contribute, what, 700 troops. But they are not going to be fighting in the south. They are going to Kabul to relieve our forces so our forces can fight in the south. Well, that is somewhat helpful, but it's not quite the three musketeers, a one for all and all for one. And NATO is really riven by divisions now. And I am very concerned about its future, that people have put too many burdens on it. And I am concerned about uh, the implications. Stanley Cobra is a research fellow in foreign policy studies at the Cato Institute. This is the Cato Daily Podcast. You can read Cobra's most recent analysis, Cracks in the Foundation, NATO's New Troubles, at cato.org.